0: An ancestor of Ambassador Koro is inside that aquarium! They're going to take out his whole family line!
1: Oi, <sighs> drop the shiny gizmo, mate. Yeah. Stepped
0: in the wrong place!
1: Sound <laughs> mate. Look, we don't want any oh, oh, witnesses. <laughs> Oi, let's get out of here! <laughs> I think we have to kidnap that octopus and take it to a safe house. Then we do that, jacket. What are you doing? I'm robbing these street punks so we can all dress up in these old-timey outfits. Yeah,
0: we don't have time for that.
1: But that's like the fun part of the whole time travel thing. No, stop messing around. To Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Nach Garnigan with me, Seeking Katia Har, Bill Boywad,
2: and Emily Bowen Marlar. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we'll be sharing a recap of the eighth episode of season three of Lower Decks called Crisis Point Two Paradoxis.
0: <laughs> uh, you can follow us on social media at Strange New Takes, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, why don't you tell your friends about the pod, uh, and if you're so inclined, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps additional listeners find the pod.
1: And, as usual, this is your spoiler warning. Expect us to spoil this episode uh, on this podcast, so you probably want to watch it before you listen. And we'll also spoil a bunch of other things in Star Trek, so just be aware that that is something that we do here on the regular. All right, well... As Emily mentioned earlier, today we're talking about Crisis Point 2 Paradoxes. It's the 8th episode of the 3rd season of Star Trek Lower Decks. It first aired 13th October 2022. It was written by Ben Rogers and directed by uh, Admiral Mike Mullen, former Navy Chief of Staff under President Obama, um, who also supported the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So, good man and apparently a very good director of animated Star Trek movies. So... Um we always start our episodes with our strange new takes. So, uh, who's got a strange new take for me guys?
0: Okay. Uh so I've got one and I'm going to need to narrate this for listeners who can't see the video, but uh, so today is actually my birthday. I turned Happy 37 birthday. today. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And my my in-laws so gave me gave me this nice <laughs> Star Trek mug. And so listeners, I'm holding up a mug. It has the TOS crew on the transporter pad. And then on the other side, this is full, so I have to be careful. You have this, you know, uh, I guess it's Vulcan, you know, some away destination. And so when you put hot, a hot beverage in it, they dissolve on the transporter pad and then show up on the other side. So <laughs> nice. for a really big Star Trek fan, I actually don't have that much merch and maybe that's something that I need to remedy. Um, (laughs) They're starting to have more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so for this episode, I I liked it a a lot. I thought it was, you know, one of the best examples actually in in the series of character development, which I think is a little bit harder with this comedic animated series, but I think they struck the right tone and did it pretty well. Um, And just the last thing really quick. So my, again, my wife, walked in like in the middle of the episode. Right when she has the best takes on Star Trek because <laughs> she doesn't watch Star Trek. Right when like the flappy skin guy with the maps, when when they pull the flaps together and find the map and she didn't realize that he was lying face down. She thought that those were boobs being pulled together. She's like, Bill, what did they do this kind of stuff on Star Trek? And I was like, no, it was He had full, you know, really (laughs) flappy skin on his back. It was his back.
2: (laughs) Dietrich was asking about that because he was watching it with me this morning. And he's like, he looks weird. And I said, well, when people get older, their skin gets saggy. And so and he's got tattoos all over his, too. So he's like, oh, (laughs) he just couldn't compute that at all.
1: Emily, do you want to go or, or do you it, want me to oh, go? Oh, is it
2: my turn? I guess it is my turn. Sorry, I wasn't sure if there was more to say. Um, well, I'm back because I've been listening to our podcast and realized you all needed um, a, a presence back <laughs> Jesus. On this we needed Jesus. <laughs> After the last one, I was like, okay, it, this is enough. <laughs> I need to get back on there. And I rearranged my whole schedule so I could do it now. I have had a stupid busy month. I was in an opera and so I had rehearsals on Saturdays and every no. evening and oh. anyway, and then uh, had the opera. And then the next weekend I had a big regional assembly thing for work. And oh, it's nice to have a Saturday where I don't have it scheduled up the wazoo. Um, and let's see. So I don't know that that's a strange new take. It's just life. Um, but for this episode, um, I really appreciated um that they put some sort of filter on whenever they were on the holodeck so that it looked like an old film. Like it had the, you know, like how film gets the dust spots on it or whatever. So they had these little black flittering things (laughs) that would kind of go across the screen. I really appreciated that. I thought that was cool. And I didn't notice that from the last time. I don't know if they did that. They probably did. I just didn't notice it in crisis point. So it was cool to see in this one.
1: I Yeah, we should we should talk about the visuals on this episode just a little bit after we, if we get past this. Um, uh, let's see. What do I want to say? I, I'm of two minds this week. On the one hand, it's kind of like people who move to Minnesota move to a place where we get a ton of snow early. And then when it snows early, everyone's like, what? How did that happen? It's like, we're in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand... What the hell, guys? Where, why is there snow on the ground?
2: Yeah, it did. I forgot it snowed up there, didn't it? Does it usually yeah. snow this early?
1: Uh, I think this is on the earlier side, 100% on the earlier yeah. side.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm growing some grass and I'm hoping that it didn't just kill all my grass. <laughs> well, um, you know,
2: we're supposed to have like sustained temperatures in the upper 20s for three or four hours overnight next week. So I wish we'd get yeah. more of a reprieve from like the sweltering hot to the freezing cold i don't know why we can't have a longer period in between those two but because we don't
1: live in greece let's put it that way right yeah. or, or california or whatever um <laughs> lace <I>. well <laughs> uh so so that's I'll, I'll leave it there for for general strange new take but um i'll just say that you know it one of our podcasts and most more infamous moments is the crisis point one episode that stretched through an hour and 45 minutes of winding and angry denunciations of star trek lord x um and i was a little afraid that i that i would have strong feelings again and i don't uh this was a very pleasant episode i liked it a lot in fact it even had a profound lesson in there i think that you know i'm sad rudy isn't here because last week he was he kept <laughs> insisting that the bird dicks had a lesson to teach us and i was like no <laughs> there's no lesson here <laughs> And I think this week there is. So I'm sad he's not here to tell us what he thought the lesson was. So maybe By the I'll way, go.
2: I just have to pop... I know this is not about this episode, but last week's episode. I have to pop in. As I was listening to it, I was like, I don't know how I would rate this. Like, I have no idea how I would rate this episode. And I just... It made me feel... You know, I felt solidarity with you all when you got to that part. And you all were like, I don't know how to rate this. This defies our normal rating system.
1: Yeah, you <laughs> guys... Both, neither of you were on the last episode. And I'm just like... What the heck, you guys? Like, what, what was that episode? Like,
2: oh my gosh. Of, of Lore
1: Dex, not the episode of the podcast. The episode of the podcast yeah. was also weird, but it's because of the Lore Dex <laughs> episode being weird. Like, would you all, real quick, what'd you all think of that one?
0: I thought it was really creative. And that, you know, and that's when you're doing a show like this, you should do weird stuff like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just i I really couldn't decide if I liked it. Or if I, <laughs> so yeah, I I don't know how I would have rated it. Like, yeah, I, I just don't know. Peanut Hamper's the worst though. I mean, like the literal worst. So I said that several times throughout the episode. <laughs> but...
1: It was, uh, yeah. I think I think not only was it an experimental format for for lower decks where we don't follow our characters at all and instead are off with of a side character on a different planet, but they really just went very like almost Rick and Morty with their with the tone, and that was just it was interesting. Anyway, anyway, yeah, okay, was, okay, okay. It
2: was different.
1: Yeah. So, um. Well, getting back to this episode of of Lord X Crisis Point Two Paradoxes, here's the uh, episode summary from Memory Alpha, which by the way I think the Lord X summaries are all being written by the same person this year, and they're not very interested in in writing summaries, because this one says, Boimler's holodeck movie sequel tries to live up to the original. It's Uh, true. Yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) Technically true, if not in detail. I would say Boimler has a crisis of faith after learning of a, a, a family tragedy, and Tendi and Rutherford... Squabble over how seriously you should take the lower the holodeck. How about that? Yeah. Okay. So much better. I think you, you you should write them. Not. I should be on memory alpha. You are correct. By the way, I genuinely I don't think I could do wiki editing though. You know how on the internet there's this theme where like at first it's like, oh this is just a casual like something new happens on the internet and everyone's like this is a cool little thing that like casual people use. And then a specialized class of users exists. So this is like Instagram and influencers, right? Like Instagram, which is like a fun place where you posted pictures of your life. And then there was a specialized class of people that came about being influencers and like showed their lifestyles and sponsored sponsors. Same is true for like Wikipedia and Memory Alpha, where there's these like hyper editors who like make like millions of edits a year. They like are like, there's definitely like, a thing where like a small group of people writes 99% of Wikipedia and then there's like a ton of other people that make like little edits to like one article um so yeah I don't I don't think I could I could be that guy you know like making edits to like Wikipedia or Memory off. I just don't have that much interest in those things like to dedicate my life to it you know uh anyway well this this episode opens with Captain Dagger rushing in to save the Cerritos. Uh, and this is where I noticed the, the cinematic quality that you're talking about, Emily, where, first of all, also, like, we have the classic thing where, like, a big bulkhead falls from the bridge ceiling onto <laughs> the floor when there's damage. It's like, this seems like a It's, like, something that they would try to avoid when building these starships. It's, like, having a destructible bridge. But, <laughs> um, and then there's just like lens flares everywhere. And yeah, what what else did you guys notice about the visuals?
0: Well, um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I, I loved all the um, TOS movie yeah. I don't know, patina that they put on top of it. And especially loved the the video that explains oh Kronigami. <laughs> and Rutherford is like, wow, look at these graphics. But it's seriously yes. like the Genesis device, you know. Totally. <laughs> I had the same thought. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they went like full Wrath of Khan uh, Genesis device, like you were saying, mm-hmm. on the on the little video with like the... I- I'm sad we didn't get the shield graphic though. De <laughs> Got the shield going around the Air prize. That would have been uh I think the ultimate. <laughs> but uh did y'all notice the how the bridge of the uh the ship that Captain Dagger is on, which I'm trying to find the the name real quick. The Wayfarer. The USS Wayfarer, that bridge just had kind of first of all everything was in a wide angle and then there was all these like the lights just glowed that a little bit more and there was just mm-hmm. like a a mist filter you yeah. <laughs> know that's pretty great um, i
2: noticed all the stupid amount of romulan boob but um yes <laughs> i was like that's not a thing right it was always just klingon boobs right it wasn't they didn't do that with romulans did they
1: and, and, of course, this is a reference to Lursa and Bator from, yeah. uh, from TNG and Genesis who have Klingon armor that uh, accentuates cleavage uh, <laughs> uh, for no apparent reason. And so, of course, our Romulan triplets that are fighting the Cerritos also showing a lot of boob for whatever reason.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: That's uh, pretty funny. <laughs> um, and then... We pretty quickly realized that this is a this is a novel written by Boimler to try and uh, top the first crisis point that Mariner wrote, and he but he's pulled away, and then when he comes back, he is a little bit disinterested. Did you all pick up on this disinterest? I was like immediately, I knew something bad had happened.
2: Oh, for sure, right? Well, and I mean, he wasn't interested in the Carol Marcus knockoff, or yeah, you know, so.
1: Exactly. I can't remember
2: what her name was.
1: The romance subplot was not uh, something that he, he was no. going to follow.
2: But yeah, I was yeah. trying to figure out what it could be. Like if it was that he got reassigned or he, you know, I, yeah, I just, I had no idea.
0: Yeah. I, I was wondering the same thing. And I kind of assumed that since he went to go see Ransom, that it was something professional that he got reassigned or got... Mm-hmm a bad performance review or, you know, I don't know. Um, but then to find out later on that it was something much, much more existential and much more like personal and real. I actually really appreciated that a lot.
2: Yeah.
1: I think, I think it was kind of profound for lower decks in terms of like how hard it hit. And I think it was a creative way to give us some, um, to flesh out how the holodeck works as well. Cause now we have, what, what do you do if, if you just go off and start doing some side stuff? I've always wondered, right? Like what does the holodeck, do if you don't stick to the storyline that someone has written for you. And today we found out it basically extrapolates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, I
2: also I, thought... Oh, go ahead.
0: I, I was just going to say, I love the bit where they're, I guess, in the cave or whatever, talking uh-huh. to the guy and he's like, okay, and I'm about to reveal the big secret, <laughs> which is, and it's coming really soon, and you you know... <laughs> Like you can actually imagine, I mean, it seemed kind of real to me, you know, (laughs) Like you can imagine a a program having to catch up and stalling.
2: Well, the other thing that was interesting, like this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I like Mariner was such a jerk. Like, how did she not catch on that something big was happening? I was like, wow, like, could you have a more clueless friend than her? But then I feel like, but it was like a light switch was flipped once she found out, like once, um. Uh, Ransom revealed to her what happened. And then she was way better. You know, I mean, like, so yeah. she had just an about face. And But I was kind of frustrated with how mean she was <laughs> being to him. I was like, clearly there's something going on. So maybe you should, like, do a little more <laughs> digging or try to figure out
1: what's going on with your friend here. And it, and her leaving the, the holodeck, though, did allow us to skip forward in the storyline. So I think yeah. the, the other thing that this... Plot device of having two competing things did is that it it just allowed us to have a few vignettes from every uh location that the two sets of cat two pairs of characters were in, and we didn't need to like, you know, like like in the mu when when Tendi and Rutherford and the Cerritos crew go to the the museum in twentieth century, we just saw them beating up the punks. We didn't see them actually go into the museum. <laughs> So, but anyway, let's, let's actually, let's tackle the the Mariner and Boimler plot first. Um, I thought it was, it was kind of interesting to see Boimler questioning the meaning of life, which um, is that, is that part of Final Frontier? Oh boy.
2: You know, you, you would pick the one movie I haven't watched very often or recently. (laughs) I feel like, well, it's it's kind of a theme in Wrath of Khan because, right. you know, I mean, just mostly because of aging, not necessarily because of losing friends, you know, or fam But, you know, it's just so I feel like it does kind of because there's so yep. much that they're riffing on Wrath of Khan.
1: Right. And we did have... Um... Kirk also in Generations expressed like Sulu has a daughter. When did he find the time? And it's like, yeah. well, it's important. Do you make the time? Yeah. So, so there's been this kind of sense of uh, questioning what 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 life is is about. I think is a theme through Star Trek. So it's some of the main characters. Yeah. Yeah. So. So Boimler gets fixated on a background character prophet who's talking about Katiha and he wants to go find him. As Bill was saying, the, the computer has to has to struggle to to program this prophet and gives him a map on his skin folds. So ridiculous. He
2: has to go find Katiha. I mean viger I mean Katiha. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right,
1: right. I think, I think the thing that is interesting to me is that they, this is, I think, the part where Lower Deck excels as well, is that they 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 take something that could, you know, w- what we see here could happen in Star Trek, right? Like, like up to this point, the entire plot is like a Star Trek plot. Like, it's it's basically like a character going off on a holodeck side mission. Like, you could see, like, Barkley going and, like, doing everything that Barimler does in this episode, but then... The way Lord X distinguishes itself is just by going that little bit too far, like with the skin fold or with the bird sex, <laughs> and that sort of like sets itself apart, right? I mean, apart from like the animations that uh, it also, uh, the, the animated characters that we'd probably never be able to get in real life. Yeah. So, so I, I really like that, and I
2: did feel like <laughs> that um, that planet. So Tad is sure nine or whatever that's after fred Tatasciore, who's the voice of right. um shacks yes. but uh the i felt i don't know did you all feel like that planet had very much star wars vibes rather than star Trek vibes and Knack kind of gave off a yoda kind of feel at the beginning and so i just thought but travis and i were both like this feels like star wars right here <laughs> not star trek so much
1: i i got indiana jones ah uh, yeah I that's
2: guess where that i too. went
1: yeah, yeah. right Yeah, both
0: George Lucas. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Indiana Jones, it really looks like that's the tone that the new Discovery season is going to take. Sorry, I'm not I'm not trying to distract us, but um, yeah, it could be fun.
1: Yeah, I've uh, watched that trailer and been like, okay, I will wait to see what happens.
2: You all are just Discovery haters
1: i I am discovery and a uh, discovery underwhelmer i I have just been <laughs> underwhelmed. that's all I don't like despise it. I just am like why like give give me a reason to like you know be excited i guess
2: you know it's so interesting. I was listening to a podcast um it's a feminist star Trek podcast called Women at warp, and I was very interested to hear their takes being so different than some of ours on hmm. the series like They Mm -hmm. were a little, they, I mean, they liked Strange New Worlds fine, but they had, they found some problems with it. Um, And I never really caught those things, but when they said them, I'm like, oh yeah, I could, you know, I could see that. And they're just super hyper aware. Like, I mean, they just are really watching out for all different kinds of representation and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but yeah, so, but they love Discovery way more than like, we tend to pan Discovery a little bit. Um, you all maybe a little bit more than me because I just want to love all Star Trek, but um, uh, but yeah. Anyway, it's just really interesting to hear. Like I just figured everyone loved Strange New Worlds, and I was very surprised that they were like, huh. Oh.
0: You know. is, yeah, so I don't want to distract us too much, Notch, but I want no, to just follow this a little bit for <laughs> three minutes, if you'll allow us. So, um, no, one of their- I must step in
1: as the, as the, uh, I don't know what, what, would, what uh, would my title even be or right here? <laughs> like, like, I cannot allow it. <laughs> no, go ahead, Beth, please.
0: Um, so was one of their criticisms, uh, under use of number one?
2: Um, well, I think that could have been part of it. I, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, they, I think they didn't like that um, Pike was just like making food all the time and that the women were having. They felt like the women were doing the heavy lifting, like, mm. like he was surrounded by all these women who were having to do the work on the ship. And he's like, here, let me make breakfast for you all. And let me do like where it was. So they, some of it was that. Um, and I don't know, I'm trying to remember what they were thinking about. Number one. And they, and the thing is they love Anson Mount. Like none of it was like, but they're like, it's hot. They said this show could not have come out. Had they not had discovery first. Yeah. Um, being helmed by someone who is not a white man. Like they needed to have some, some other shows come out and, and break some barriers before they could go back to having a, you know, middle, I, I hate saying middle-aged because he's like my age, but let's just be honest, uh, middle-aged white man being the helm, you know? So, um, so I think that was part of it. I mean, they think he's very charismatic. They really like him, you know, like they like looking at him, but, um, (laughs) like most of us do, I think, but um, it's just, uh, yeah. Anyway, I've, I, I feel like part of the biggest criticism was they just felt like the women were there were just a lot of women that were surrounding him having to do all of the work and not the same anyway. So, yeah, I
0: get that. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> yeah. I, uh, and not having listened to that, you know, it's hard to kind yeah. of there. Are, I mean, there are some reactions that I can think of, but like it's like it's I don't want to react to something without having right. given right. them right. the time yeah, right, of day, right? right? Like, so yeah, you're getting the filter
2: through me, and anyway, but it was just. I was so excited to listen to their to their take mm-hmm. on Strange New Worlds and then I was like, Oh wow, this is different than how I experienced it. So
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. uh yeah, but you're right. I think to your greater point, which is that Discovery did um, kind of has done a lot of path breaking stuff for us and it maybe has enabled Star Trek to to go back and do a few things differently or not differently as as the as it may be with a uh, strange new world. So that's a really interesting take, but getting back to Katiha <laughs> and the meaning of life. Uh, I freaking love Nick knack that recurring motif <laughs> of freaking knick-knack was and forgetting <laughs> his name was so good.
0: Knapsack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nah, well, and then nah, when he nah, becomes nah. like
2: this huge creature, like it <laughs> transforms into this ass kicking, like,
0: I mean, isn't Boimler, like, doesn't she kind of break the fourth third wall? Act- and she's like, whoa, knickknack reveal number two. Like-
2: yeah. <laughs> or what was it, a third act reveal? Way to go, third act reveal. Or
1: something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's just generally, I think this these Crisis Point episodes allow, like, I think this episode and the previous episode. So someone said this about the previous episode, but I think it's true for this one and that one, which is that these are lore decks takes on lower decks. Like you, you know what I mean? It's it's a meta meta commentary or like a meta parody and satire. Mm-hmm. And I freaking love it. And the like the, the, the one time I saw that was like Mariner being like, oh he's gonna have this like inspirational speech that like he's about to convince everybody to to join us and then they just start wailing on the acolytes in the ship and beating them
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is a really good like general point about Lower Decks that um you could never have something this this y or like self-referential before streaming, right? Like mm. streaming allows something like this to be possible to kind of serve
1: a pretty narrow audience. Right. Yeah.
0: And it's awesome, you know, if you're part of that and, audience.
1: And if you did have something like this in the past, it would have been like you know four episodes late at night on adult swim for like 10 minutes each with like a single set right like it wouldn't have been like uh you know the content that was this like niche had like very specialized channels and low budgets whereas with an animated show like this on streaming you they can actually time travel to three different locations you know uh and and they can show us several different ships so it is i mean I'd say even beyond your point, Bill. I think the power of animation continues to like show us just yeah. what it's capable of, uh, and why it's good for us to have an animated Star Trek.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, so so they they find Katiha and ask him the meaning of life, and turns out it's one of those like uh, little affirmation generators, yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> aphorism <laughs> generators. Um, I, I really thought that they might end up on the planet with those three big brain dudes from um, the cage you know
2: oh yeah
1: and so Kitty Hawk might turn out to be like those three dudes or something like that that's what like my mind went to when they landed on a planet full of rocks but instead we get the rock creatures which look a lot like the rock creature from Final, Fan- uh, Final Fantasy the Final Frontier um, and inside it is the Kitty Hawk <laughs> 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 how did the freaking oh kitty the right flyer yeah exactly end up in um space like any theories on how that happened i mean
2: how did amelia well, i guess amelia Earhart was abducted by aliens right so that's how she right. ended up in some cryogenic stasis chamber yeah i don't know
0: didn't they actually find her plane now hasn't that oh, been solved
1: no no they haven't they haven't solved the mystery of her disappearance i don't think there was like theories and mm-hmm. there was a skeleton found at some point that someone thought was hers but there's a lot of like controversy on like attribution of that
0: okay so mm-hmm. far
1: so i don't think there is yet any anything definitive i think they found maybe like a piece of the aircraft
0: okay um yeah i don't know i'm bad at headcanon how, how did the kitty hawk end <laughs> up there um i don't know i think be those, like the aliens like...
2: that came to that planet last week and they like to steal sal- or salvage old wreckage or whatever that, that and that's what be,
0: they
1: did yeah. well the collector's guild bought like stole it from the smithsonian yeah and uh and and had it show up somewhere else or maybe maybe they swapped it for like the real um the the they swapped a copy, so the one in the Smithsonian is now a copy, and the real Kitiha is in the Kitiha.
0: Okay, I've got it, you guys. All right, okay, okay. So, um, Dr. Gerardi's like friendly Borg offshoot because they're not as aggressive, right, for their like assimilation goals, they don't get like the good technology, right? So, they have to like settle for like willing participants, or like they can't, it's like the bottom of the barrel stuff. So they had to assimilate the the right flyer from kitty hawk and but it like you know wasn't wasn't usable so that just you know got spat out at some point
2: in a rock
1: yeah there you go there you go i like it we'll go with that i'm a, i'm do you remember we started my memory alpha career today my <laughs> first article that i write
0: let's how about we do our own version of memory alpha but it's just all wrong answers <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's basically like, isn't there like a isn't there like a wiki that's like meant to be just like creepy stuff that people make up? You know what I'm talking about? Sounds They're, cool. I forget the name. I it's mean it like, sounds
2: like the normal internet.
1: It's like <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's like it's it's meant to be kind of like an X Files ish space where people make up like anomalies and like they, they <sighs> note like like fictional places on the earth where like strange things have been reported. there's a name for it and i can't remember right now uh but there's like a full like reddit about it there's like a lore about it that people have written like books on the stuff it's it's like super deep it's years old now forget now but anyway so boimler climbs into the rock monster it's too hot he gets dehydrated falls asleep and ends up meeting sulu <laughs> <What>? <laughs> i i love that it
0: was so so nice to have george decay do probably yeah. one final um scene
1: really yeah. great yeah yeah they had to bring somebody to crew back yeah i yeah. wasn't expecting it all and 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 the and the misdirect man with the kirk on the mailbox yep. Yep. yeah yeah
2: and it's a kind of funny in a meta way about cuz they just like famously do not like each other or uh George Takei does not like William Shatner at all um and does not have nice things to say about him so it's also just kind of funny in that meta way of they yeah. didn't want Kirk they wanted Sulu instead
1: <laughs> yeah and do do you think Kirk would sell his house to Sulu like i feel like well, Kirk loved his horses
0: what do you mean sell <laughs> like oh, in exchange for lying. money what is that <laughs> okay.
1: okay michael <laughs> okay berno now <laughs> <laughs> um yeah 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 i just i just think kirk would like take his horses with him you know like on the on the ship if he went somewhere but anyway um let's let's take a quick break here we'll come back and talk about tendy and rutherford and the Chronogami. <laughs> 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 what were the Melpinar triplets after this time? The chronogami, a top secret Starfleet prototype which can penetrate temporal barriers. Chrono, because it involves taking time and folding it in on itself like the Japanese art form. Yeah, origami, or, right,
2: yeah, we, we get it.
1: I thought the chronogami was theoretical.
2: Well, consider the theory proved, and now the Romulans have it, and I bet my pips. <sighs>
1: they're going <Computer> to freeze <laughs> program. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we've been discussing Bill's collection of Agatha Christie books that are in his background, behind, sitting behind him on the bookshelf. How many books did Agatha Christie write? Do you guys know?
0: I, th- I think it's between 80 and 100.
1: And that would, I mean, that's an output of at least a book a year for her entire life, right? Like, that's... It's incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was, she was 85, so that's, that's really fast. Yeah. Because I've seen some fantasy authors who are able to do that kind of output for like short bursts, but to sustain right. that, you know. Like
2: they could do it for five years and then they're done.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I think there's
0: also a financial thing with a lot of authors. So I'm, probably my favorite author is William Gibson, who wrote Neuromancer. He kind of founded the cyberpunk genre. And by the way, a, a TV adaptation of his book, The Peripheral, is being released in a week or two, which I'm really excited about.
1: Nice. Anyway,
0: you know, with William Gibson, like he wrote Neuromancer, I think in his early thirties, it was a, like a big hit. And then, you know, he came out with a book every couple years initially, and then every three years and four years. And now it takes him like, you know, I think the next one will probably be a decade between books because once you, when you're an established author, you have that nice royalty stream yep. from all this, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to do it to make a living. Right. So right. let's do it on your own time, but Ag- Agatha Christie just kept kept uh, producing them.
1: Yeah, I think we we can establish a scale of Agatha Christie to George R.R. Martin on speed of output. Right. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of
0: royalties coming in, right? <laughs> yeah, George R.R. Martin. And, he has no I reason mean, to write.
1: Yeah, he's just not writing stuff at all. Uh, but anyway, getting back to Crisis Point 2 paradoxes, um, we get the chronogami. Do you guys know what the chronogami is? Could someone break that down for me?
0: <laughs> well, it's so chrono funny. for time. And <laughs> the Japanese art form of folding paper, also known as We orinami, got it, we got it. Scr- we know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I just loved all the like techno babble, which again, this is this is what I was saying, like this is lower decks just getting incredibly meta. It's just just he he literally like is at one point i think mariner tells yeah the... she's
2: like you can't just say a bunch of words that don't mean anything <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they kind of pause for a beat and it's uh-huh. kind of like oh really <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, but I mean, that's the thing. This is like a k- classic Star Trek plot. Like this could this could have been a movie, right? Like this could have like I can believe Mike McMahon just going to the the bad robot offices, and being like, "Hey, Alex, can you just give me like the worst script that you've got?" And just taking the like wholesale like, taking the concept, Colonel <laughs> And so the Romulans go back to um, erase the Federation from history. Uh, very original. They first go to try and disrupt the translation of the Algaic slime More language by the squid ambassadors. <laughs> <laughs> and then they end up... I was sad though. We did, I, was, I was excited for them to talk to some people in those red Starfleet outfits, but they didn't spend much time there. And then we move pretty quickly on to the museum where the punks... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Of course, they're they're
0: Australian punks. Yeah. Of course.
2: When I did like, they did have the homage to the big boombox. box. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with yeah. one of them, so.
1: <laughs> I just, I forget. I mean, that's the thing. I think this, the dialogue in this episode is so good. With like, I mentioned knickknack before, and some of the stuff Mariner said to Boimler, but then in this one, you had uh, Shaxx is saying, "Look, we don't want any whack." Witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It's
0: so good. And then, you know, transitioning to Rutherford and Tendy, you know, so Tendy wants to forge ahead with a mission. Rutherford wants to put on the cool punk outfits right. and he can't fit into them. And he's like, oh, I think we need to find some bigger punks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. He's just interested kind of that. That is like fundamentally like how do you approach a holodeck, right? Like, are you. Mm-hmm. And, and this, I guess, happens all the time in, like, how couples watch TV at home. And, like, are you, like, immersive? Like, no talking. Like, I don't want any any conversation. We're not going to eat popcorn because it's too loud. Or are you the kind of person who's, like, yucking it up with, with your partner or whatever in front of the TV? And that's kind of what Dendi and Rutherford, the problem they're having. Rutherford just wants to eat and have a good time and just kind of mm-hmm. la- meta-laugh at the story, whereas... Tandy is really, like, deeply uh, involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just to reflect a little bit on my personal fandom, you know, I think when I was younger, I was really uptight about canon. Mm. And I get why people are like that, because if you really are going to kind of, like, imagine yourself in that scenario or, like, pretend or make, you know, treat it like it's real, then all the canon has to make sense, and if there are things that are inconsistent or whatever, it kind of ruins it, or it kind of pulls you out of the immersion. But now I just don't care at all. For me, it's it's just like a fun TV show, and I but I I kind of get that perspective of wanting everything to be like as real as possible and for the universe to be totally coherent. Um, but I just I just can't anymore. You know, I, for me it's just entertainment. Maybe that's a little sad. I don't know. So but as a result, I don't the canon stuff doesn't really bother me.
1: I think like it's I'm kind of probably somewhere in between where like I like things to make like if it if it's if it's an egregious thing, like, oh, start or Captain Kirk is now like he he didn't die at the nexus, he's now back to life because of something like that. Like that bothers me a little bit. But if it's something small like, oh, instead of it being this class of ship now the the defined is maybe not defined that's too iconic but like the hood is now a different class of ship like that kind of stuff doesn't bother me that much like spot data's cat changing genders. like i don't care like it's okay like, is that a real
0: thing is that a real yeah. canon yeah. grievance
1: yes <laughs> yes
0: yes literally unwatchable
1: Yep, I can never been able to go back to TNG because of it. It's it's the reason Picard sucks is because TNG didn't go back and fix these things. Um anyway.
2: Well Spot was also long haired in some episodes and short haired and yeah, so it's just
1: tragic misunderstanding mm-hmm. on the level of you know how Voyager messed up Chakotay's and they give him a fake Indian heritage? Like that's the same. Like this is the same level of misunderstanding applied to felines, <laughs> y'all.
2: Not all cats are the same. Just because yeah, they're a similar color scheme, come on.
1: I, I hear that they had a a consultant who came to TNG to help with the cats, and it was actually a dog, so it didn't work. <laughs> <too much. laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, have to be that, careful. That was, I keep really my dog much, when that, I make uh, a loud
2: noise. <laughs> he like jumps and runs
1: away. <laughs> <laughs> well, so okay. One of the reasons Tendi seems to be so invested is because it's her first chance to really express a desire to be captain. It's like she's never said that out loud, and mm-hmm. that's true with the character like we we've kind of seen her wanting to be like a cool scientist, but she's never really like expressed a desire to to grow into leadership in that way. and so this is her chance to to be involved.
2: you know, I just dawned on me. It was kind of a similar flip that we saw our switch flip flip switch whatever that we saw with rutherford when he was like just wanting to play around and just have fun he's like what's going on but the second he found out that the reason she was being so serious is because this is like a deep-seated desire to be a captain he was like you'd be an awesome captain i'm totally supportive of this and he completely changed how he was interacting with the um holodeck so anyway just interesting we got to see both rutherford and mariner be good friends to their friends for sure
1: for sure I am I am a little bummed that Rutherford didn't do the Creole accent through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Seriously, it's ridiculous. Also, we got the, uh, the bomb from Nemesis. Did you guys see that? The Romulan bomb from Nemesis. Yes, with I, the, like, I little... totally
2: was. Yep, I was oh, wondering was, if that was the same one from Nemesis.
1: I
0: didn't realize that was a thing because I saw Nemesis when it came out and then had made an effort Nemesis. to never watch it again. So I had almost <laughs> forgotten you guys until... <laughs>
1: So so the the, the like <clears throat> senator who's like evil and aligned with um Chinzon takes this little device and puts it next okay. to the Chancellor into the Senate chamber and then it opens up with these little petals and, like it opens and then like this like little stream of dust rises and everyone and it like explodes oh, into the yeah. room. And then everyone like starts like ah all the Romulan senators are like dying and turning to dust and then one of them like Iconically, like is frozen, then he falls down and shatters into like yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Uh so but that's not what happened here. They just the Dramulin ship just exploded when the bomb went off. But uh <laughs> yeah. And then we get the same scene that we got in Enterprise of the the founding of the Federation, mm-hmm. and we didn't get to hear any of the speeches uh or anything like that.
2: The speeches are overrated, you know.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> archer just went in there and started punching people like boimler to convince them <laughs> and federation um uh, yeah Look, we
2: don't want any witnesses
1: <laughs> so at the end of this i think i think you had the the best point emily which is that rutherford it really jumps in and is supportive of Tendi. so we get some real character development here mm-hmm. on offer for, for the two of them through this and then we get For Boimler as well, we get, we get to find out that he has some existential worries and, and that his, his, the connection to William was deeper than we had realized up to this point
2: Mm -hmm. as well. And it's also that notion of someone who like is you. So then why do you, why are you still alive while they're not alive? Because he literally is him in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard similar. Like I read an article once about what happens to people when their twin dies, mm. and these are some of the like things that that they do think about. Um, we also at the very end of this get uh, I think it was Mariners as well. I'm glad they didn't do some lame uh, cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then we somewhere. get section thirty one, yo. Uh, section thirty one. Although William asked the right question, though I think.
2: What? I can't even remember.
1: He's like, well, if Word is like super secret clandestine organization, oh, yeah, why do why we have we a were... badge that like sets us apart from everybody?
2: They never did until Discovery. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, the black badge, and so mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, he. But apparently, the Section Thirty-One. Um... What's the class of vessel? Is it Defiant class? Or what's the I
2: think it's I, Defiant
0: class.
1: I think so, yeah. I think there's a I know the
2: Defiant was actually the cell, the Defiant was destroyed and then the Sao Paulo, I think right. became the Defiant again. But I I do yes. think it is a Defiant class.
0: Yeah. And then yeah, there's it's that a one. Defiant class. There's like that one in the episode where they have the cadets. Is it the Valiant?
2: Yeah.
1: You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Defiant so, is the so... coolest shit.
2: Mm-hmm, it is. I love it.
1: Yeah. The in in the, the the novels written by William Shatner that kind of diverge from Canon starting at generations, they have a defined class vessel that is uh, a section thirty-one ship. So this uh-huh. that's so what this was a reference to.
2: Um
1: cool. <clears throat> so the Shatner versus now Canon and and I don't know if you guys got the uh, piece about Mariner referencing that she's not willing to go back and kill Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a scrapped plot idea that Gene Roddenberry had put forward for the initial sequel to Star Trek, the motion picture in which the Klingons would travel back in time to thwart the assassination, leaving Spock to kill Kennedy. (laughs)
2: Oh my gosh, no wonder it was scrapped.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No idea if you wanted Spock to have a gigantic card piece while doing it. (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um any other final notes on this episode you guys anything else that y'all want to talk about
0: i think so not for me
1: i'll just end by saying it's always it's always fun to have a little bit of met poke a little bit of meta fun at Uh star trek and its movies uh but i think the natural question just becomes if someone hasn't watched the movies you know does this episode work for them right like, uh, and I think that's the question for a lot of Lower Decks. I don't think we still conclusively have an answer. Yeah. On that question. <clears throat> but, yeah. oh, I also forgot there was a reference to the... I, I thought the one thing in this episode that didn't work was that little piece where uh, they, they reference how, the because the chronogamy, the timeline might diverge into slightly separate stuff where younger actors are playing the oh, yeah. same <laughs> version and then he's like <laughs> no we Abrams. can't do that yeah 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 yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was a little bit on the nose i thought the previous reference to it where it's like oh what about movies where kirk and spock have cinematic chemistry i think that was good enough i don't think we yeah. needed this kind of like super on the nose reference um <laughs> anyway so let's do strange new ratings which of you would like to stick your neck out and give crisis point two paradoxes a strange new rating
0: i can go um i liked it a lot i just thought it was i thought the character development was really good i liked the what we learned about boimler and tendy and the nice moments of friendship that we got with um rutherford and mariner and i thought it was fun i loved the references back to the the movies so i'll give it a nine
1: nice
2: yeah i think i was going to give it a 4.5 same out of five um, just because, I mean, it was enjoyable and it had um, it had good references, but then it also had its own spin on things. And anyway, and it was just a good episode as far as the characters go.
1: You know, who am I to disagree? I'll give it a nine as well. Just <laughs> It just works. Um, I don't think it's again, it doesn't doesn't pass the in the pale moonlight test, but it comes pretty close. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. Well, Bill and Emily, it is wonderful to talk Star Trek with you, Emily. I'm glad yeah. we're, we have you back after so many weeks off. It's, uh, it is, it uh, is. I think, uh, our podcast will go off the rails a little bit less with you around. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I just, again, want to reference my restraint that we didn't talk about bird dicks in the last episode. Yeah, I know. I'm very proud of that decision. We could have gone there. We could have. Yeah, what, what's you, Rada hiding, you know?
2: I wish I could remember. There was also one of the episodes where I was like, no, y'all, it's this. It's this. like I was doing the whole yelling at you while you were in the <laughs> podcast because you all were like totally missing this one reference that one of the episodes had. And I was like, why are they not getting this? But yeah, I was driving, I so I couldn't text you all and tell you what it was. I,
1: I do when I'm listening to episodes that I'm not on sometimes, I want to like, contribute and I can yeah. it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well maybe that's what Adam and Rudy will be doing when they listen to this uh back. <laughs> I hope whatever it is the two of you are doing, it's I hope it's a good time. So thank you for being our other usual co-host. Thank you dear listener for making time for us in your week as usual. Um, Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. We always appreciate hearing you strum away at the guitar. And special thanks this week to the scientists who came up with the chronogamy for giving it such an obvious name. Sometimes with Star Trek names, it's really hard to tell what something is. Here it was like, okay, that's exactly what it is perfect great let's just do it it's not the nexus or whatever like what the hell is that you know so anyway special thanks to those guys all right thanks everyone goodbye see you next week thanks much bye